Introducing Mortgage Matters. He has no idea how bad it is out there. He has no idea. A show dedicated to helping you navigate a challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. The economy continues to face numerous difficulties. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage. live from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? Talking it's about time for Mortgage Matters. All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Mortgage Matters. It's the, uh, wow, look at that, 3.15. Hey, yesterday was Pi Day. Did you see that? I did, yeah. I um, I saw a picture on Facebook of some airplanes that were skywriting Pi to the nth digit. The paper said that Cuesta was having Pi Day. Oh. The Cuesta math department. Mm-hmm. It's one of those jokes you kind of have to read to understand, because when you say pi versus pi, you can't really tell in which instance the E is missing. Ah, uh, yeah. One's kind of tasty, and the other has a lot to do with math, right? Sure. Exactly. <laughs> a yeah. lot to do with math. <laughs> uh, I don't really want to play stump the engineer, but I th- yeah. <laughs> we can move on from pi. I was surprised to find out that today is St. Patrick's Day. Wait, what? Yeah, it's not, right? It's is Monday. It? Monday. Well, if but you drive the green. if you drive downtown, there are a bunch of oddly dressed people who cannot walk in a straight line. Really? Yeah. Let me let me guess. It's kind of in the area of McCarthy's. Um, yeah, thereabouts. <laughs> That's always like that though. <laughs> what I guess I guess it's um, being celebrated early. Oh, maybe for yeah. like the people that the have those job things on Monday, but still <laughs> need to be like obliterated by breakfast. <laughs> right. yeah, there you go. I'm sure we'll still see a fair amount of those folks um, on Monday. I guess you're Irish. Jim claims Irish heritage. Yes, I do. One of like 104 percent of Americans who do, basically. <laughs> yeah. No, I actually have papers that show my family came from Ireland. Oh, so there we are. Okay, so I can prove it. Oh, I heard a lot of good <laughs> Irish jokes this week. Jason O'Groty. Is it? <laughs> is it? Is it true that the Irish are a people that enjoy being made fun of? I don't know. <laughs> I, I read that that was true. I don't think and it's a... Not as, like, offended about, you know, being the butt of a joke. But I, I did, honestly, there was a lot of Irish jokes this week, um, none of which I remember. So, anyway, yeah, and all of a sudden, the middle of March already, weather sure is beautiful. And uh, it's been a, a kind of an interesting couple of weeks now uh, with things going on in the economy. Of course, all this... Do we call it geopolitical stress? I think that's a good term. Over there in the Ukraine. Yeah, it's um, definitely had an impact on on the mortgage market. Oh, most certainly. Um, we were uh, talking yesterday about loan locks and you know whether it's a good time to lock a loan, essentially. <laughs> This is always a really fun game, by the way. Yeah, we, we do this weekly in the office. Yes, yeah, it's sort of like, I mean, uh, picture catching a falling knife, but not really understanding whether gravity is going up or down. That's that's ultimately how it works. So at some point, you know, you, you use your best guess, 
making you know assumption based on recent data things to come expectations um and ultimately the this the dealings going on over in the ukraine have caused a lot of flight to safety lots of investors buying american dollars trying to find a, a little safe harbor for any um big mix-up that may go down within the financial markets related to this stuff and and boy has that really changed the landscape of the uh the treasury right now um I, is it boring when I start talking about the treasury too much? No, no I'm just I'm just still waking up. I'm getting. Oh, I wasn't. I, I wasn't referring only to you, Jan. But every now and again, I I feel like I like to talk about the the treasury yields, and and I wonder if it's just overdone. Well, I don't. I mean, I I think it it matters. I I do think it matters, and I think more importantly, it it why the the yields are moving is is important and i don't think what we're seeing the reaction to the events going on in re ukraine it's not unlike what we've seen over the last five years whether it's problems in greece and italy or um you know wherever there's political turmoil or economic turmoil whether it's on our soil or abroad the whole world is is so connected now that that those types of events have an impact on our stock market, our bond market, and you know, more specific to this show, it impacts mortgage interest rates on a on a daily basis. On a daily basis, right? I mean, you find out that um, people are suspecting Russia's pre-planned uh, military practice, or however they tried to couch this in the beginning. Um, the market moved in within minutes really of finding this out um we see on the financial networks of course they're they're tracking who's talking to who what they you know what the potential impact is of outcome if if parties side together or can't convince one another um so it's a it's it's something that definitely moves the market and it pushed that 10 year bond yield down this week to 2.65. And I don't recall the last time it was 2.65, but I feel like I can say, um, it was, it, it's, it was a, recent. Yeah. A I few mean, weeks it, ago. it's touching into this. I, I think it's really since the, um, since the Ukraine stuff began though. Yeah. What 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 we were talking about this week earlier this week was that, you know, these yields always are within a certain range. We we can always count on them being within a range, and that's how we're looking at at that to determine whether or not now is the appropriate time to lock an interest rate or whether to float. Um, when thing now with this with all the Ukraine business in the news, we've seen the yields move down to that. Um, that level that that's been the low really the the low watermark i'd say since june probably of last year so it's it's i think the lowest we've seen it here in the last nine months is maybe 2.59 i'm butt clicks away from answering that question um so it's at the low end of a range we've seen it as high as as nearly three percent oh I think of course it peaked over at, i landed at myself onto um like a daily here but yeah, it, it looks to me like the first time in 2013 that we broke that 2.65 was on July 8th. And 
moving forward from July 8th, it tinkers around in the 2.5, 2.6 before really around September begins hitting the 2.9s and, you know, doesn't, you can tell that it's bouncing, but heading in a higher trend, ultimately closing out 2013 at 3.04. So seeing this number go back down, yeah, it creates some downward pressure on interest rates. We've seen, uh, some good locks this week relative to things that, you know, over the last few months, or it's been, um, from that standpoint, it's, it's nice to see the interest rates down a little bit. Um, nobody wants to see a war, um, over it. So, um, the, uh, the rest of the news though, I, I found this week, a lot of talk about Fannie and Freddie. Yeah. Now that they have made the U.S. taxpayer whole on the uh, on the bailout funds. Now there's serious talk. In fact, there was a a bill um, that's being authored. I, I don't know what where exactly we are in the process of this, but a, a bill has at least been authored by a couple of senators. Um, and I, and I will just note that it's bipartisan. We've got a Republican and a Democrat who've co-authored this bill um, to offer a a wind down proposal for Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and, and proposing some type of alternative um, solution to the mortgage market. Because I, I think we, we've talked about a lot on the show, Fannie and Freddie really created their, their appearance in the mortgage market starting back in the thirties created the 30-year fixed mortgage they, they created that that fixed loan by providing liquidity in a market that traditionally was was really a space where only banks played and banks had to match fixed rates to the average maturity of of the deposits in their account which was less than five years so it was hard to find anything on a mortgage that was fixed for longer than three or five years fannie and freddie come along um, and they they provide some liquidity for banks. Well, so the other the other part of that too that you can't really breeze over too quickly is yeah that the need for the fixed rate loan was ever present um, when there was big runs on the deposits then banks called home loans due performing home loans essentially foreclosing on good hardworking Americans to try to get that money back so they can meet the, de the demands of the um, depositors taking withdrawal. The other thing that you got to remember is, you know, it kind of fun to take this to extreme to um, make the point, but think about, think about areas where you have like a, a gold rush, right? Little boom town here, you know, wherever you want to call it the San Fernando Valley or San Francisco, you, there's so many banks locally and, when it really starts, the housing market really takes hold and lots of people are borrowing, lots of commerce taking place, these loans being three to five to 10 to 20, 30 year loans, there's only so much money you have to lend out at that point. So then what ends up happening is the, the different savings and loans or banks start calling one another saying, hey, would you be interested in buying this loan that I have so that I can get money to make these other loans that um, I'm being offered today? And the other banks really have no, 
no standard way of evaluating, no, no way of drawing comfort in knowing that your decision to lend translates into the same kind of decision to lend I might make at my institution. So not only do you find some liquidity um, in the actual marketplace, but it also gives this um, common thread by which these loans are underwritten, helps people understand the risk, therefore sort of making them denominational, that you could go then and trade this loan for that loan because we know that it's similar. Likewise, you could sell me nearly sight unseen, um, $5 million worth of this type of loan, um, then you'll have the money back to reinvest in your community, that kind of thing. So this is what this to me is the biggest sense of what Fannie um, and ultimately Freddie gave to us. And one of the really interesting pieces of this, and, and I, I wonder if it's being talked about much on the, um, on Capitol Hill here, but when you take these, this idea is that Fannie and Freddie bridge the gap between banks in different places and different areas, right? Well, look at now how many banks run this country. It's very few. And in fact, now, because Bank of America crosses the entire nation, um, I do realize that their scope goes beyond that of North America. But they have the ability within their own portfolio because of their behemoth nature to be able to do these things kind of on their own. So getting rid of Fannie and Freddie, in my opinion, seems to pave the way into having total monopoly by these private bank institutions. And I'm sure you recall, but those big banks weren't far from... Um, they weren't good at self-regulating. No, and they needed <clears throat> money all the same. The Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac needed money, so did sure. Bank of America. Yeah, that's that's a great point. Um, yeah, there there was really no difference when because the, we saw a mortgage market where the B of A's, the the Bear Stearns, the you know all these big um, institutions made up their own rules for lending. Yeah. That didn't prove to, to work out too well. And and like you said, they needed the same kind of bailouts that Fannie Freddie Some did. of which were Johnny-come-lately <laughs> banks that had no business in mortgages at all. They had no experience. But, hey, everyone else was doing it, and everyone else was making profits hand over fist, and therefore kind of coming in and feeding the, the frenzy, putting the F in frenzy. Yeah, it seems like the effort to get rid of – Fannie and Freddie is is another example of 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 a reaction that that's kind of um, past its its need. You know, I mean, like like a lot of the disclosures we offer or, or that we're required to provide in in a mortgage transaction today, they're not relevant to today's transactions. They talk about prepayment penalties. They talk about um, you know secret profits and or, you know trying to loan officers trying to hide additional profits that, that the consumer is unaware of, um, loan terms that are kind of snuck through at the last minute. Those things don't even really exist today, yet we have to provide a, another 10 disclosures um, to a borrower to make them aware of loan products that existed five years ago, 10 years ago. And, yeah. and I feel like trying to get rid of Fannie and Freddie today is late. It's it just doesn't make a lot of sense because what they're doing today is originating some of the cleanest mortgages, some of the safest, um, 
you know, most well underwritten loans that we've ever seen. So I, I get pretty fired up about this topic. Um, I know I, I mentioned to you before, but one of my, one of my favorite things about the, the, um, social media type of thing today is that you take an article on CNN money. Okay. Read about this proposed bill. Um, Go ahead and get the bullet points out of the article and then scroll down to the comments and and find that public sentiment and opinion here is so rarely based in any kind of actual fact. Um, you know, this this particular like I, I'm down on this comment that says after being responsible for the housing market collapse, I can't believe that Fannie and Re F Fannie and Freddie are still around. Um it's hard. It's a very hard argument to make that Fannie and Freddie were responsible for the housing market collapse. In fact, I, and I know that people that are more credible and respected than I am have written total books about this. The reality is, is that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are not responsible for the housing market collapse. The, the loans that, uh, the exotic loans, the Negam loans, the 80-20 loans, um, all of those bizarro loans where you got to fake your income and fake your down payment, um, fake your credit score, fake all that, those were not Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac loans. I'm not going to argue that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac didn't dumb their standards down. They certainly did. Um, and right, wrong, or otherwise, it was an eat or be eaten kind of thing where if all of your competitors, they're literally every competitor that you're up against is offering a, a loan where there are no documentation requirements, um, you know, Fannie and Freddie had to figure out how to make it more convenient for borrowers. And they, they've suffered the path of the slippery slope of allowing people with really good credit to not have to verify their income. In the beginning, you would just um, show a pay stub instead of tax returns and W-2s. And then before too long, it was like, well, provided that the pay stub's reasonable or the number's reasonable for the profession, go ahead and forget the pay stub. So absolutely dumb down their standards. Definitely um, not a prudent move, especially when you're talking to a financial market of this magnitude. However, they ultimately are left holding the bag because of such a rich history with such big portfolios. Yes, a lot of leverage. Yes, the way that uh, mortgage-backed securities are being packaged and everything created a little frenzy and stuff. But this isn't a Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac problem. They got taken down because everyone around them that sort of joined in the late 90s were gone by 2006, 2007, created a crazy storm of loan products that they Fannie and Freddie never would have done. And, and, then, and not only did they create these crazy products, they gained a huge amount of market share. I mean, yeah. upwards of 40% of the market was, was going towards these exotic loans because the rates and they, they were very similar to what Fannie Mae could offer. And it was just so much easier to do them, even if someone could go the traditional route. I would, I would even um, suggest that, it yes, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac dumbed down their guidelines. I, I would say it was 
it was more like a, a toe dip in the water compared to what some of the private institutions did. But at the same time, um, had they not even done that, I think they would have suffered similar type of losses. How many full doc loans went delinquent simply because values came crashing down on homes and people did strategic defaults? Absolutely. It wasn't just a stated income loan problem. It well, was it was a value, a home value problem. But picture this though. With absent of the big crazy adjustables and the balloons, the negatively amortizing loans, um, investment property loans to 100% financing, okay? Right. All of those types of loans Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac never did, not right. once, okay? But that, so before this time, let's say homes are worth $200,000 and everything's chugging away, going fine. Um, and now somebody comes along and says, hey, I have a new loan product to compete with Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, gonna make the payment on the $200,000 house equal to um, a $100,000 house. So it, it all of a sudden it creates this blanket affordability where people now have this purchasing power they didn't have shortly before. And now you have people lining up in droves to buy homes. They come because they can afford it and they can outbid their buddy because they're willing to take this loan product they don't understand, get a $400,000 loan um, that is going to be the same payment as the $200,000 loan. So now all of a sudden you start radically appreciating the price of real estate. Um, somebody walks back into Fannie Mae and says, I need to redo my loan. And... Um, Fannie Mae says, okay, well, we do the, you know, kind of traditional approach here of using an appraisal. You're going to document your income, your assets, all this kind of thing. They come in and, um, hey, it turns out that when you get your new Fannie Mae loan, the house that was worth 200000 is now worth 400000 And people start saying, um, okay, well, now everything's just worth so much more. So now all of a sudden Fannie Mae is making loans based on these new crazy inflated values that are a result of all these other bizarre lenders doing a bunch of dumb stuff. And um, like I said, they had a huge portfolio. They Fannie Mae has been around at this point for 80 years. They go through this period where they're now gaining exposure because of all these other bizarre things. And people then catch fever of doing cash out refinances. And um, no joke, the girl that cuts my hair owned four houses. Um, all of which she bought as owner occupied with no down payment resulting from all those other dumb lenders that were out there. Um, so all of these inflated values, those companies tank, they don't actually really care because a lot of them were shell companies anyway, they're all split. Who's left Fannie and Freddie. So they got hammered for sure. They got hammered and everybody, um, you know, is so quick to say, well, Fannie and Freddie responsible for the housing collapse. How so? If anything, absent of the, maybe they kept it more under control, absent of them, what may have actually happened sure, that's a good without point. people knowing an 80 year history of how you make and do loans that perform and are good, uh, investment risk, what would have really happened? Who knows what might have happened? So it's it's fascinating to me. I hate to see that now um, we we saw Fannie and Freddie through, not because anybody was interested in the profitability of these companies, but they would have um, ultimately destroyed the country if we didn't figure out how to stabilize um, 
home values, home worth just to people, the perception of what it is and what it means to have a goal of paying your home off and stuff. Again, we really changed the mentality here in the last few years. Um, in fact, not to just spill opinion for too terribly long here, um, Freddie Mac issued a report just this week saying that um, – 95% of borrowers in 2013 elected for a fixed rate loan. 39% of the people that refinanced shortened their loan term coming into something. So they're, they're actively 40% of people that did loans with Freddie Mac last year were looking to get a shorter term ultimately to achieve their goal of paying their home off faster. Um, Fannie Mae put out a report um, about people's attitudes, um, talking just, you know, in terms of how people are viewing housing today. 45% um, of people said it would be easy for them to get a home loan. Five years ago, was anyone saying it was easy? It wasn't easy. I'm not positive. I still think it's terribly easy, but... Um, people are more used to the change of sentiment around. My yeah. point is, is that because of everything that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac has done, um, we have a normal market. We understand the risk. The quality of the loans being underwritten today are better than ever before. People believe in their access and ability to borrow, and they're buying into the idea that you need a fixed rate loan and a goal to pay that thing off, and they're taking shorter terms. That's a success as far as aligning um, public perception of homes and home loans with what you need to have a successful and thriving housing economy. So now we're ready to go break up Fannie and Freddie? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Pretty wild to me. Hey, it's 1030, guys. we got to do a commercial break. When we get back from this break, we're going to be joined by Wes Burke from Patterson Realty. We're going to come on. Maybe, maybe we'll hear some of his opinions about Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, though I don't want to talk the whole show about it, Dan. It wears me out. I get fired up, too. Agreed. I can already feel my pulse is higher since we started talking about this. So stick with us after this short break for more Mortgage Matters. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. To ask a question, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home, just 
Just call 543 loan. Just call 543 loan. Just call 543 loan. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is locally owned and operated with locations in Paso, Morro Bay, San Obispo, and Arroyo Grande. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. The state of denial is a drag and a trial. When I bought my cheap insurance, should have known this day would come. Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. Called them at least 20 times, but they won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy's kind of worthless. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. All right, everybody, welcome back to Mortgage Matters. The studio just got a lot manlier here. We got Wes Burke here sitting now in the Jason and Dan sandwich. We're glad you guys are listening. Um, This is going to be fun to catch up with Wes. This is a man that I usually talk to um, multiple times a week, and I feel I've not talked to in a while. Kind of find out what's going on, check in. I'm sure you've got a whole host of things that you're prepared to talk about, too, on account of you've been to, like, every association meeting, professional realtor thing there is. Yeah, I've been traveling a lot lately. Yeah? Yeah, I have uh, attended a great conference in Las Vegas uh, a little week and a half ago, full of great information. Um, but I come here to get educated. You guys are doing such hmm. a great job this morning. You know, I'm still trying to figure out what's going on with interest rates. So are we. Yeah. So where are they? Where where are they going to go? Where are they? (laughs) Where are they and where are they going to go? I I think um, most folks agree that they're going up. Um, The question is how high and how soon? Um Altogether, though, we Dan and I had the opportunity. We're doing a loan for a pretty close friend right now, so we kind of had the opportunity to sit down and, and revisit about interest rate stuff. And Dan reminded me that, oh, man, I, not quite a year ago, but um, somewhere around there when interest rates were um, – there were some folks that got 30-year fix for 3%, literally 3.0%. That was a rare bird. There was a couple like that was pretty much the best lock ever. Um, three. I think there's a phone call. <laughs> uh oh. Is that the? Um, That's like the emergency line. I think this could be Mr. Obama. Hmm. We'll find out. Yeah. That's. I. That's the emergency line. Do we have? Is there something going Can we on? Get an update. 
The sheriff's office is just checking to make sure we're alive and well over here at KVEC. Is there a problem here at KVEC? Not that I know of, but we have to answer that phone when it rings. Never does. Huh. And, you know, yeah. It's always concerning when... Making sure <laughs> we're alive? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe this will be a good time to take a break and evacuate the building. <laughs> this would be a good time for me to run to my truck and grab some weapons. If I only had some. Um, all right, well. We'll gather ourselves after that. That's always a little alarm. This is the cops just calling to make sure you're still alive. <laughs> oh, perfect. It makes me feel really confident and comfortable. That would indicate in my... there's a chance that we're not. Yeah. Well, the buildings all around you are filled with dead people. So we thought we'd call you and just glad you answered. We're happy you answered. Lock the doors, please. Jim, the doors are locked, right? They're locked. They're right. locked. Sounds good. Um. All right, so back to the topic at hand. Um, more common than that, 3% loan was a lot of 3.125s. Um, Not a lot. That was probably dozens. You know, I'd say less than 50. Um, there was yet more 3.25s. That was kind of a normal thing. A lot of 3.375s. We did. <laughs> Are you going to go through no. all of them? <laughs> no, no. How about three and a halfs? If you, if you though look at within like a month period, the 3.375 was at no points. And then like within a month, it was eight points. Can you wrap your head around that? I mean, that's, that is actually outrageously crazy. When we get a reprice during the day, it was like the market's um, worse because of a good jobs report or something. We get a reprice worth worse for usually like an eighth, 0.125% um, for all you math majors. So you got to get eight of those to go worse by one point. Um, this was worse by eight whole points in the course of a month. So it's literally like every time you picked up a rate sheet, every time you opened the computer, every time you looked up, things were just terrible fast it was like may as well just you know take the month off and the tricky thing is we kind of started the show a little bit about this too about when you lock because so many people believed it was going back down oh, i'm not going to lock when it's high um i'm not locking that 3.375 at three points hey a month later it would have been really smart now that it's eight points um so it's hard to kind of manage um people's perception and expectations of that uh, we don't, we're not seeing any kind of volatility like that at all right now. If we see anything, we get reprices for the better or worse between one eighth and on the craziest of days lately, it's probably three eighths. Yeah, that the big moves that we saw in interest rates a year ago were due to all the speculation around when the Fed would start tapering back their, their bond purchase program. Now we're on a path towards, um, you know, eliminating that program altogether. It's expected that we're going to be done with that by December of this year. Now that we're on that path, things are very stable. Um, in the last, uh, since the beginning of the year, we've seen rates fluctuate in about a quarter to three eighths of a percent range. So it's very stable. Um, and and going forward, we're looking at rates gradually moving higher. The only thing that would cause some real volatility is something extreme. Um, some extreme event like you know if if 
something political, something, some major economic happening um, here overseas. It would have to be something very extreme and unexpected, I think, to really jolt the market. Well, like you guys were talking about, what's going on in the Ukraine has had a, a bit of an impact, correct? It's had a bit of an impact, but it's it's what it's done is in the last week, it's made rates um, move down by about an eighth to a quarter of a point in rate. So relatively speaking, it's, it's uh, you know, from where we were, it's a little bit of volatility, but it's not like what we saw last year where where we saw a full percentage point to a point and a quarter movement in rate in a, in a couple week period of time. Yeah, sure. The the thing that's worth, I think, explaining on the show here is that each of those changes, regardless of how big or small, have an impact on affordability. And especially for first-time buyers that are in the market, kind of uh, maybe stretching themselves, stretching a budget, small changes in the interest rate really impact what they can afford, either to the positive or to the negative, depending on which way rates go. Yeah, no doubt. Um, so one of the clients that we're working with this week, they're buying a house in San Luis and first time home buyers picking up um, what I would call entry level single family home in slow 450 grand. That actually seems like a pretty good deal lately. Um, you know, you look at just the principal and interest portion on buying that house. Um, to go from a, a four and a half interest rate to say, you know, a 4.25, that changes from principal and interest of 21.12 per month to 20.51. So it, it drops it by about 60 bucks. Um, you know, so every eighth is, yeah, usually we tell a good rule of thumb is every eighth in rate is usually worth about 30 bucks a month. So it definitely has an impact on uh, affordability. It, when it's going for the better, everyone's excited about it, right? When it's going for the worse, no one wants to know that. You know? What does $30 a month translate to in terms of purchase power? In terms of purchase power, um, you know, at, well, let me just see here. At a $100,000 loan amount, if that was, you know, just for sake of round numbers, $100,000 is $506 of uh, principal and interest, okay? And, and that's using a four and a half interest rate. So if you break that down, then it ultimately means that it's somewhere, um, I mean, what do we call it? 30, mm, probably about 6,000 bucks. For, for, and that's for every eighth. For every yeah, so a movement of an eighth in interest rate going up is going to diminish your affordability by about six thousand dollars, and and it's also not apples to apples though on account of the other thing about well property taxes and other things in the transaction are based off in a percentage of the property value. So as you move the property value up and down, it's not exactly um, always the same. But yeah, that's a good rule of thumb. So, you know, to stretch that out a little bit farther than if we if we just kind of pull our an eighth in rate is a change by about $6,000 in purchase power, then a quarter is about 12,000 bucks. Um, a half is twenty five thousand bucks, and now a point's probably fifty thousand bucks. 
Yeah, and and you've said that it's that it's not that uncommon to see um, as much as a quarter move in a day, and sometimes even three three eighths, which is nearly a half, which means that on a daily basis, just the interest rate fluctuations could have an impact. Um, twenty twenty five thousand dollars of purchase power for a buyer. Well, it's kind of true. You can't you can't forget that whenever we talk about interest rates, there's two components to it. And in one part of it, we call the rate, and the other part is the fee. So the volatility in a day, that eighth to three-eighths, is typically in fee, not movement in rate. So what it's ultimately saying is that if the rate stays equal from yesterday to today, the fee has likely changed by an eighth to three-eighths or a half. So the bigger deal there is if you're wanting the exact same interest rate and now today it costs you a half a point more on a $400,000 loan, you're paying an extra $2,000 to get that loan today. And oftentimes people look at that and say, mm, but the $2,000 additional fee to get that same rate, what happens if I move the, the rate up by an eighth? So from four and a half to 4.625, now the closing costs come back down to zero. We know that that eighth, or I mean, we kind of just discussed that that eighth is worth somewhere around 30 bucks a month. So would you rather save your 2000 bucks today and pay an extra 30 bucks a month? For the life of the loan. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, but, but so if you're tracking along with me here, and I know we've been talking about, you know, fractions and cost stuff for a second, but here's the, here's the bigger picture point is that over time, people choose the higher interest rate because of the lower closing costs, because the months that it's going to take you to break even, um, how long you intend to live in the property, all these kinds of things. This is why people aren't paying eight points today to get a 3.2530 year fix, because, um, the reality is you can and and that's a that's a really interesting thing is um, when you sit through my whole schooling of interest rates if I sat you down and really took you through it interest rates themselves kind of never change what changes is the cost for every interest rate and the market moves people away from those really high cost rates. So then the sort of normal coupon today becomes 4.25 rather than the 3.25. You can still get that. You're just going to pay dearly to get it. Makes sure. sense? Sure. That's boring as heck. And I'm pretty sure everybody that's listening just took a nap right there. <laughs> so, um, Wes, I did want to ask you, though. Um, Today there's some open houses, and Dan and I were looking on the the KSBY website to to get a handle of the open houses that exist. It looked like there were six of them that were scheduled for today. Um, is this just what does that mean? Why would there only be six open houses on a Saturday? Is there is that because there's only six houses for sale, or is that because San it's Luis a beach is, day? It's a nice it? weather beach day. Or is it just are people too lazy to do open? Do you not need to do open houses in this town? No, I think it's a function of the market for sure. I mean, there's currently 78 active single family listings in San Luis Obispo. Hmm. So for a town, you know, the size that what 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 are we? Fifty thousand people, roughly. Sure. Let's call it that for round numbers today. Um, that's not very many 
houses, and some of those houses have been on the market for a very long time, and uh, that indicates that there's a problem. They're they're either in really bad shape or they're or they're highly overpriced. So, or yeah, both. Or both. Yeah. <laughs> you get so you get down. You know, you whittle through this stuff, and and a huge number of those are, are condominiums. Um, when when you factor out the the condos and just look at the single family homes that are currently on the market in San Luis Obispo, there's only 60. So when you have really low inventory and the demand is, is high like it is right now, I mean, even with 60 units on the market, that's still less than three months supply for, for the uh, activity rate of our market. I think the, the reality is um, agents just don't feel that open houses are necessary because if, they're, if they've got a decent product and it's priced fair, it's going to sell, and often it will sell with multiple offers. So inconveniencing uh, the homeowners or the, the home occupants by having lots of people traipse through on a Saturday and a Sunday, that's just kind of an activity that's it's not really called for, I think, is probably the what's going on. Mm. Now, the, the market is changing. I mean, we, we expect it to change because we have a very seasonal market. So... Um, after the Super Bowl, that that's, seems to be a benchmark of some sort, activity really starts to increase. And both uh, from all the bets that were won, I don't think it has. Well, to do what, that. Are you, what else are you going to do on a Sunday but go look for houses? Yeah, after football season. Church, yeah, there's man. nothing else church. to do. Church. <laughs> yeah, but, at, but after church and yeah, af I mean, and that's after only movies. A, an hour. Okay. I'm with you. So, uh, barbecue. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're seeing we're, we're seeing activity increase. So both both there's more buyers um, out there that have become active and engaged, but there's also been a bit of an increase in, in inventory. So what's going to be interesting to, to watch as this plays out over the next couple months is we'll compare it to the previous years and how the activity increase rates against history to to know whether what we're seeing now is a, is strictly a result of the seasonality of our market or if it is pointing towards real changes in the marketplace like perhaps a shift more to a balanced market where there's a little bit higher level of inventory and um, we're seeing fewer multiple offers and 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 more balance in general in the supply and demand equation um, my my view of this, the the scope I have is smaller, I think, than obviously than yours is because you have agents that are negotiating real estate every day. Um, I'm a part of a lot of the negotiation, at least in terms of providing the prequal letters and looking at the different houses around town. And um, from where I'm sitting, most of the time. Properties are getting full asking price. I see feeding frenzies. I still actually am, am still having situations pop up where I'll have two or three clients call me about the same house on the same day. that they've It's hit the market and it's on their radar and they want to know and go look at it and see it. So, Well, that first-time homebuyer couple that got their accepted offer, they made an offer sight unseen in order to get their offer accepted. Yeah. Yeah, and that seems to be ramping up. We didn't see a whole lot of that in December and, and January. Um, it seems to be ramping up February and, and March. I've um, noticed just in the last week or two um, a, a higher number of, of accepted offers and, and deals coming 
coming together coming together now and and for the last two months or so i'd say it, it seemed pretty slow pretty dormant activity a lot of people pre-qualifying but things weren't coming together and now for whatever reason it, it is starting to happen yeah and it's it's too early to really um prove this statistically but I did. I had an agent in my office call me this week, lamenting the fact that she's working with some clients. And twice this week, she scheduled appointments for listings that were newly on the market. She scheduled them for the following day. As often, you need a 24-hour notice. It was already sold. And both times, and it happened to be with the same client. Uh, she got a call prior to her showing and said, "Well, we've already accepted an, an offer." So. Yeah, it's it's happening, and you know to, to tie it together, we were talking about inventory and the the fact that there's, you know, seventy three. Can I stop you right there, real quick, though, before you move on quickly from that? If I'm the seller, I'm gonna be a pissed off about that. Don't you leave money on the table? I mean, I understand. Yeah, it's great that the the realtor I'm engaged is able to use their network or their pocket listing or whatever to come up with some deal. But if it if they're canceling people that want to see it on opening day, couldn't I potentially have sold for more? Well, I don't I don't think this is necessarily on opening day. I think this you know this occurs over a four, five, six, seven day period. You know the the listing hits the market. Um, the agent forwards it to a buyer. They talk about it over dinner, get back to you the next day and say, schedule an appointment. You need 24 hours, so you schedule an appointment. Well, there's two or three days have gone by. And in this market, that's actually a lot of time. And it, it really warrants. Well, and the bottom line is that's a lot of time because there's not enough for sale. There's not. And, and to prove that, talking, you know, we talked about there being 73 active listings, including condos, 60 single families in San Luis Obispo, actively available right now on the market that you could go buy. Well, right now, there are 93 properties in San Luis proper that are in escrow. Yeah. And I'm one little small fish in a big pond. I got 20 pre-qualified people that are looking to buy homes right now. So, yeah, so we've got if every loan officer has 20 pre-qualified families that are or individuals that are out looking to buy real estate today, um, there ain't enough for sale. Yeah, you need to understand there's 25% more listings that are already in escrow than there are currently available. So, so. is that 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 means there's less than 1 month's supply, right? Well, it doesn't pan out quite that way because the, the way we calculate months of supply, we actually take into consideration um, when the listings go in escrow. So, for example, some of these may have been in escrow for 45 days already, and um, a few of them are contingent on the sales of other properties. So we're still seeing um, that in San Luis proper, we're at about two and a half months supply. But there's other things that are really confusing and interesting about this market. Um, I'll use this opportunity to plug Keith Bird's website. It is absolutely the best website available for research. Forget about Zillow. Forget about Trulia. This is all hyper-local data pulled from the MLS. It's accurate, and he's, he's created um, visual displays for all of this. It really will give you a great idea of what's going on the in the market. And you can find that at slowcountyhomes.com. But I'm looking at um, market indicators. He's created these graphic indicators of the directions of the market and they key on several factors like median home price and days on the market and 90 days ago when we looked at these he's got little arrows green and red arrows to indicate whether the 
you know, the average is moving up or down. And when we looked at these just a few months ago, the arrows were green across the board, across the county. And now when we look at it, there's as many red arrows as there are green arrows, both when you look at median home prices. And this takes this is a snapshot view of February of 14 versus February of 13. So many of the areas around the county have seen modest declines in median home value February over February. Uh, when you get into days on market, you know, use uh, six months ago, all the uh, indicators were red, meaning that the, the amount of time a house was on the market was decreasing. And now we're seeing again, uh, the, actually, there's probably more green arrows on this on this page than there are red arrows indicating that the market time is actually increasing in most of the areas around the county so we have kind of a dichotomy of information what we're what we're seeing and what we're feeling what our our guts telling us is one thing but what the data shows is kind of painting a different picture or at least a picture that that would indicate um, there's less stability in the marketplace than it may feel like there is based on current activity. And that's why I think it's going to be really interesting to watch over the next couple months to see how much um, of this is really being impacted by the seasonality of the market versus real changes in the market. Hmm. Do you have predictions about what the summer holds? Is it going to be a busy season? Is it going to be yeah, I think another frenzy? I, I predicted um, earlier this year that we would see less activity in the marketplace, so fewer transactions, but we would continue to see a modest increase in home values. I don't think we're going to see double-digit appreciation this year like we did last. My house is going to go up double digits. But so far, I've been really – I've not been right. I mean, so far, the activity level is on par with last year, and um, it's really tough to say what's going on with values because it, it really looks like it's micro-market specific. In, in some areas around the county, we're seeing a little bit of appreciation, and in, in some areas, uh, the median home value has gone down. Now, it's worth pointing out that when you break the market down into micro-segments, you look at an area specific like Cayucas. Um, There's not a big sample size. They're there. showing a 50% increase in median home prices. Well, obviously what happened is something huge sold up there, and it really skews the data. So you have to take all of this with a grain of salt and understand that when you have really small sample sets um, – one or two transactions can can really throw the data huh fascinating well i all i can really say is that i i don't we don't for whatever reason we don't get enough of the people that are buying eight hundred thousand dollar houses so everyone that's buying three to five hundred grand around this county are in a total rat race to win and get one of those houses it's a frenzy it's hard it's exhausting um, if if you're in that race, you know what I'm talking about. We're going to uh, get forced out here for the top of the hour break in just a minute. I do want to invite you guys to get your questions and comments ready for the second half of the show. We're going to have Wes for another half an hour. So if you'd like to call in and ask a question, do it, 543-8830. We'll be back in a few minutes for more Mortgage Matters. Do stick around. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. 
All right, guys, welcome back to Mortgage Matters. It's 11.05. We've got the illustrious Wes Burke in the studio. The owner, proprietor of Patterson Realty. Wes, thanks for being here with us today, first of all. It, I always do appreciate it. And last month you um, stood us up, <clears throat> but we pulled it off without you. Hmm. Last month I came and spent two hours in here with Dan. I remember that as well. Yeah, oh, was it did. the month before then? Was the last time I was supposed to be here with Wes? My bad. I think he just bailed on you. My bad. I'm maybe. I made it up, Wes. I made it up. <laughs> he just giggles and looks down. You, you know what I'm talking about. There was there was at least a day where I was like, "Where are you?" And you're like, I "Thought that was next week." It might might have happened. I don't know. I don't I don't remember. Thank you. How political of you. There's a spot for you in Congress when you're ready. Um, Neither confirm nor deny. Yeah. That's Wes. That's me. (laughs) So when we were talking a little bit earlier about, um, I was saying like as a seller, if if you're selling a property, so this is a total double-edged sword, right? Um, As a seller of a property, you, you of course, want to make as much as you possibly can when you sell your house, right? Sure. I mean, isn't that the goal? Then as a buyer, you want the best possible deal you can get, definitely, right? So in um, in this scenario where you're like that realtor that works for you had clients that the sellers canceled on them twice because the property already had an accepted offer like that? Almost like it makes me wonder if the auction way of selling homes is like maybe slightly more appropriate where there's like a, okay, this guy over here has put out this offer and everyone's inclined to say yes. So now you've got 24 hours or or forever hold your peace. Anybody want to come higher, bigger, better? Um it's surprising me that it doesn't kind of work like that on some level. And I know there's been iterations of this tried in the past, but um, I, and so I'm asking in that, in that sort of scenario and in a bigger picture is the way that real estate's being sold outdated and needing an overhaul or is it spot on? Well, I don't know that it's spot on, but I think that actually the marketplace does, um, bear forces that that do somewhat of what you're talking about the the auction mentality i mean most of the time what happens is you know a, a listing hits the market if it's a good listing priced well there will be some immediate interest and it, it may even be that buyers start to make threats you know in the in the industry when you have a listing you can kind of tell when when a buyer's about to take action the other agent will start to call and ask a series of questions that indicates that the buyer's probably writing an offer and a good listing agent at that time will let everybody else know that calls about the property or that has recently looked at the property, hey, it looks like we're about to get an offer. If your people are serious, it's time to play. And how – I know you guys can ferret out over time if people are just posturing or not. But, you know, it, it makes me think of, like, the sales guy that, like, some people put a little toe in the water and maybe they're into it, maybe they're not. And then so he calls some folks up and be like, oh, heads up. I got some, I got some activity coming, and I got like a chicken or the egg thing going on where people are like, "Hey, well, 
that one that you looked at that you're wanting to sleep on tonight may possibly go pending if you don't sharpen up the pencil. So are you in or are you out? Yeah, I mean, there's always a concern about whether you're being fed, you know, accurate and honest information. But in in my career here on the Central Coast, over 15 years of practice, I've never actually seen a situation where where we found out somebody was lying to us about that kind of of information. In fact, what happens more often is a buyer will say, well, yeah, that may or may not be true. We're not going to modify our behavior based on that threat. Sure. And then the property will go pending the next day, proving that it was accurate information. And once that happens to a buyer a couple times, then they start to take those warnings with a, you know, a little more seriousness. Yeah. Well, all right. So I, you mentioned during the break that there's like this movement afoot potentially with Zillow going to potentially shake up the model a little bit. So I have a question for you and, um, you know me well enough to know that my nature is not to um, get you on your heels or attack or offend. But I want to ask you a serious question, and I know that you're going to make a good response here. From a selling side, so let's separate the two here. From a selling side, how hard is it to sell a house? And and I don't. I'm not asking you like justify what a real estate agent does. But let's just say Zillow suddenly gets in the home selling business, right? And as a seller, then you're going to walk through these templates of answering questions. My house is 1,776 square feet. My house was built in 2009. My house has granite. My house has composition shingle roof. My house has this view. My house has all these things. And Zillow then is going to make some suggestions where you can accept, override, manipulate some of the things. You could set a reserve to where you're not willing to let this thing go pending. You could do a lot of stuff to try to manage it on your side as far as showing your property. I mean, even filling out kind of the seller transfer disclosure statements of my house has traffic noise. There's three skunks that live in my attic. We have mold in the bedroom. You could put all of this stuff in and then there you go. So on the selling side, how come that's not already happening? Well, it is happening some, to be honest, but I, I think it's a very... Is that the way of the future? No, I don't, I don't think so. And I certainly hope not because I think it's... I think it's really causing problems for a lot of people, and, and I'll give you several examples why. First of all, um, it, it's, it's a fact that 40% of the data on Zillow is inaccurate. So when buyers or sellers go there and try to accumulate market knowledge, it's based on bad data. Right. Therefore, the, the assumptions that you make based on the data are bad as well. So that's the first problem with it. Another problem is that while Zillow is um, valid or not, it's, it's become to some degree a trusted source for real estate information. The fact of the matter is the multiple listing service is still the primary database where active inventory is shared throughout the real estate community. So if you want to get the highest and best for your house when you sell it, the number one way to do that is expose it to the broadest audience possible. And while everyone in the world has access to Zillow, still a very, very few, a very low percentage of people that are actually real about buying a house are using Zillow 
as a method of finding inventory. The majority of people that are buying, when they get serious, will engage a real estate professional. And they'll do it not just to help them find a house, but because they know the transaction is complex and they want help navigating the transaction. Not to mention that for a buyer working with a realtor, 99% of the time is free. You're not paying anything to have representation. And that representation includes a legal fiduciary responsibility. So why not go get free service when, when you can? So most of the buyers engage a realtor, and the realtor will use the multiple listing service as the prime source for finding matching inventory for that buyer. They will not use Zillow. Now, they may look at Zillow from time to time, but they won't rely on Zillow as the trusted source for real estate listings because 40% of the information on is, on, is bad on there. Do you feel like that's um, changing to some degree as well, though? I mean... The scope of what Zillow does is changing. And if you go to the site today, because we use Zillow, um, Zillow, first of all, I always take with a grain of salt because oftentimes it's wildly unreliable, um, especially in communities like um, San Luis Obispo, for example, where you know from one side of the street to the other or you know half a mile away, the housing inventory is very eclectic. It's, it's not only wildly different in style but in years and um it kind of takes local knowledge to be able to to change that out if you looked at like let's just pick on orange county for example let's go down to like some new part of orange county like rancho santa margarita okay it's seas of track homes zillow is a lot more dependable there the housing inventory is not eclectic. The okay. housing inventory is... It's, that's not true. They're, no? They may be more accurate in terms of their uh, price estimates because sure. that's a formulaic thing, and the more dissimilarity in the product, the less accurate that formula can be. Right. But in a tract, I will, I will give you, Zillow's Zestimates tend to be more accurate. What is not more accurate is their accounting of what is actively available for sale and what is not actively available for Agreed. sale. So not only do they have homes listed on Zillow that aren't the, that aren't on the market that have sold a year prior or they also don't have a full set of everything that is available. Right. So buyers are going to who rely on Zillow are going to become frustrated because they're going to find houses they like that aren't available and they're going to miss houses that they would have liked because they didn't make it to Zillow. <laughs> Part of what I hear you saying is that once Zillow figures out to appropriately capture the accurate, up-to-date information, that they're going to be a force to be reckoned with. No, they're already a force to be reckoned with. What I'm saying is that they will never come up with a model that will disintermediate the the realtors, the professionals' position in a transaction. So let, let's get to an example of that. Let's say that um, a seller believes, well, I don't need to pay a real estate commission because I can put it on Zillow and find a buyer. And in some cases in this market, that probably is true. When there's a severe lack of inventory and a huge demand, you can probably sell your house on, on Zillow. But I would argue, first of all, again, that you're not exposing it to the broadest market. Therefore, you can't expect to get the highest and best the market will bear. More importantly, the transactions are so complicated now that I don't think a seller can reason, reasonably expect to 
obey the law and sell a home without a professional. Yeah. And an example is you mentioned disclosures. Now a seller can go out and make all the disclosures in the world, but the fact of the matter is there is a form that is mandated by legislation called the transfer disclosure statement. And you can make every disclosure that exists on that transfer disclosure statement, but if you don't make it on the mandated document, you're in violation of the law. So how many sellers do you think know that, first of all? Second of all, have access to that document? Um, I, you know, I, just, I think it's just really a risky behavior in today's world to navigate the complexities of a real estate transaction without the use of a professional that's in the trenches and knows the laws and has a code of ethics to, to adhere to. And, the, you know... Hey, hang on a second here, buddy. Got you all fired up. There's a vein coming out in the side of your face right now. I'm just trying to make good radio. I'm not trying to say that you guys don't have your place in the market. I think it is. <laughs> I think it is good radio, and I love the dialogue. <laughs> I, I'm just ribbing you a little bit. Um, Dan made a funny joke during the break that, um, you know, this is this is the kind of crap we've been putting up in the mortgage business for years now. Um, this use Quicken, use Greenlight, use these out-of-town companies where the guy doing your loan or gal doing your loan has no experience whatsoever. They're like, their script is just to say yes and promise the moon, you know? No, those operating losses aren't a problem. Yes, it's okay that there's a bathroom in the garage that's not supposed to be there. Sure, it's fine that you're, you co-signed for your kid and they had a mortgage late. That's not your fault. We're constantly being forced to pick up the pieces deep into the game over some failed internet transaction. Um, and, you know, and can you go to one of the online companies and do a deal and have it all come together? Sure. Occasionally, but, but I think you proved the point. The fact of the matter is most of the time when people go out there and try to navigate. Well, see, because those big models like Quicken and stuff, first of all, they, they give you this idea that they're cheaper somehow. Um, the reality is, is that they're really not. And if you're any good at all about shopping, it, you can figure this out quickly that they're not any better. They make it seem with their clever marketing that, you know, there's no surprises and all this kind of crap. But the reality of it is, is that the, the deal, the transaction that you have to do, you have to walk through. And, you know, we've, we've been up against this kind of thing for years and then additionally we've had the government getting involved trying to pretend that they know what we do for a living creating these new agencies and pressing us to make illegal these things that I stopped on their own six years ago um, it's been kind of a tumultuous little environment and you know so yeah, it's high time that some of the focus fell over onto your guys's side and you know oh so going back to my other point though those companies, like what Zillow is intending to do, one of the ways that they attract people, I think, is by um, appearing cheaper and then to actually be cheaper and be profitable and do their whole thing, they, they leave out all the most important parts, you know? They leave out, like, yeah, so you can get a loan. Did you get the best loan for you? Well, you don't really know because you don't know what you're doing in the loan world. And sadly, the person that you're working with doesn't either. Yeah, and the, you know? the, the other reality is statistics show, and this the, 
NAR runs this every year. It's self-serving, obviously, but they they go out there and they take a look at all of the for sale by owners that occur across the country, and they compare the median home value of for sale by owners to those that had professionals that listed with a professional, and and the average is about seven to nine percent higher when you list and sell with an agent. So even if you pay a five or 6% commission, you're still going to come out with more money on in your pocket if you use a realtor. And that statistic alone makes me wonder why anybody goes out and tries to do this on their own. Well, I know why they try to do it on their own. I've had con- You have too. You've had conversations with these people. They know more about real estate than you do. And you're a knucklehead that all you got is a computer and a car to drive people around on a Sunday, and there's no godly reason why you should be paid. The two of you should get $38,000 to negotiate this deal um, that everybody's capable of doing on their own. Yeah, that's I mean, common attitude. When you talk to the people that are doing that, it's kind of like, wow. I mean, like you said earlier, could you put it on Zillow today and get yourself, find yourself a buyer? Probably. Yeah. Um, finding yourself a buyer seems to be like um, a small fraction of what the overall goal is. Oh, yeah. You want to find a qualified buyer, you know? I mean, that's the other thing, too. Is like you, So Zillow's going to bring you a buyer, right? What is that buyer? And, you know, like I was having a conversation happen to me with one of your agents yesterday about a, a buyer she has that she's – talking for months to and showing real estate to and has no good idea whether this guy's actually pre-qualified or not. And I said, you know, at some point in the game, you have to tell this person that your time is serious and they've got to get qualified and be the real deal or get on because it's a, that's just how it goes. And, you know, and whether that's with me or anybody, um, but yeah, what trust could you then have that the internet manager, <laughs> whatever the website that's controlling the transaction has properly vetted whether your guy's qualified and, you know, to some degree stakes their reputation on it or something. That's one of the things is, you know, that I think transcends all of this is that part about um, all of those human characteristics that a machine is incapable of possessing. Um, with people, we call it loyalty and integrity, and we call it honesty. And then you put it into the computer, and it's like, yeah, what was wrong? The data was flawed. That's not the same as being dishonest. That's also not the same as having integrity. That's not the same as being referred to by a friend or family member, a trusted individual that knows that going to this person for help in this financial transaction, if the wheels come off in every possible way, they know that that this professional is going to handle them with care and make sure that they're they're not damaged somehow because of it. And can a computer ever do that? No, I, I think the the biggest component that's missing there is is the experience base. I mean, there's so much advantage to the experience of an agent in a transaction from start to finish. It's just you know, when when buyers and sellers that don't execute real estate transactions on a constant basis get involved, there's so many opportunities for them to um, screw it up. I mean, you know, one of the big things lately is, is termite. 
So, you know, the buyer and sellers are eventually going to end up in some kind of negotiation over, over the inspections, including the termite inspection. But transactionally, we have learned over the years that how you deal with the termite inspection and the termite repair has a huge impact on the, the success loan. of the loan, the success of the loan. And so, you know, we know how to navigate that in ev to everyone's best interest in, in a way that won't interfere with the loan process. And if buyers and sellers are not, they don't have that experience. So the likelihood that that's going to become a transactional problem is huge. And that's one example of hundreds that occur throughout a transaction that experience can navigate and a lack of experience can create huge problems for. Just this week, there was a competition between, um, I forget the guy's credentials, but he's basically the best ping pong player in the world. And they put him up against a computer. Did you guys see this? It's like a robot. It's pretty amazing. He's got, at the center of the, you know, where an opponent would be standing, there's a, a robot with a single arm and a paddle that spins and can basically just move in any direction. And with all of these cameras and tracking devices and high-speed processors, the, the robot serves the ball or receives the serve and can track the ball and hit it back with the opposite spin and all this pretty fascinating stuff. And I feel like it's timely to our discussion because you know where the guy got points against the robot? Because the robot's basically infallible. The, the, and well... That's what you're led to believe, right? Because there's a formula. It, it, it sees the trajectory of the ball with its weight and spin and surface and all this. And then it puts the paddle in its path and according to the formula and hits it back over. The formula, right? The math behind it. But you know where the human gets points? He hits one that gets barely caught up in the net and falls slightly over and bounces. And there's no way the robot can be um, built to react to that. The guy also gets points when he hits the very corner of the table, you know where it's deemed a legal shot, but it hits like perfectly on the corner and falls quickly to the floor. The robot doesn't have a formula to fix that. The robot loses that point. And I feel like this is kind of a, a timely parallel to what you're talking about with, you know, whether or not a computer or a computer program could replace people in real estate either. And the termite's a perfect example of that. That's that ball that barely hits the net and falls back into fair play. That's where the expertise, the experience and all this is going to come into effect. A computer can't do that. So uh, to determine whether I need a new career path or not, who won the ping pong game? Um, I think I didn't. I was less concerned about the overall outcome. If you guys watch this, you'll be absolutely floored by it. I think the the human wins by one point. I think, but you have you just have to watch this. It is without question the most epic demonstration of because you guys remember a couple of years ago when um, Ken was that his name? On Jeopardy, the guy that they eventually had to change the rules in Jeopardy and and stop him because he was just too good. Was that? I, I remember a few years ago. Anyway, so they put him up against well. a computer. Do you guys remember that episode? They they basically he played Google and using like the best computers in the world would figure out 
whether or not um, he could beat this computer to the answer. And the, um, you know, the computer is pretty darn good. There's no doubt about it. But you can't help but root for the human. So, Wes, I don't think you need a new career because people will always root for the human. They're just going to. Good. Good. I'm glad right? to know that. I'm glad I came in today. I'm not done with you yet. You're not leaving right now. Um, we're going to do a commercial break. I want to invite you, you guys to... outside? It's beautiful out there. But if you hang out for just a second longer, Dan and I will treat you to a sandwich and a beer. We got to do a commercial break here. It's 1130. Uh, we'll be back in a couple minutes. I'd love to hear from you. Call us 543-8830. That's the number 543-8830. Stick around for more Mortgage Matters. To ask a question or make a comment, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. We'll be back after these messages from our sponsors. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543 Loan. Just call 543 Loan. Just call 543 Loan. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is locally owned and operated with locations in Paso, Morro Bay, San Obispo, and Arroyo Grande. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. The state of denial is a drag and a trial. When I bought my cheap insurance, should have known this day would come. Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. Called them at least 20 times, but they won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy's kind of worthless. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. You going to bring it up? You want me to? All right, everybody. It's 1132. You're listening to Mortgage Matters. Now I'm glad I stuck around. Yeah. We had a we had a total awesome thing just happen during the break. Some of the best radio that we ever do is during the break. So I, I I'm gonna do this because I, I I like to um, I guess I just like to talk. But Dan no. looks up with enthusiasm. 
Well, you, says, guys, you guys were boring me, so I started looking at oh, Julia so, and Zillow at the same time. Let's reenact this. <laughs> do it again. Do it again. There's a really cool property in the beach tract in Morro Bay that seems like it has flip potential. I mean, it's un- you don't see things for less than 300000 How much is it? It was two eighty five. It, it, it's two eighty five. I mean, this is blocks. This is like how many square feet less is it? Less than two blocks from the ocean. It's a less than eight hundred square foot. How uh, big's the lot? Could, could we though. add on to it? It looks like it. Sure, it's you a forty eight hundred square foot lot. So hey, we, Dan, we're gonna single we're gonna, story. We're gonna buy this house. It needs some TLC. It even says it on the listing on Trulia. You could just buy that, add on to it, flip it, make a ton of money. Let's go look at it, Wes. Okay. Yeah, you guys go it's look right at here. it. There's a little, Saturday afternoon. Go look at it. There's a little green bubble that indicates it's for sale. Wes looks up and says, why are you using Trulia? <laughs> I, I did. I said, Dan, I said why so are you using Trulia? Why right are you here? not it's, looking at my website? <laughs> it's. I just found this home. It's so easy. It says it's for sale, 285 so I thought I better look it up real quick on the MLS because it's it, even got pictures. It was sounding like I was going to need to set an appointment for Dan this afternoon. It's priced for a quick sale. It says it right here. Two eighty five. Yeah, two eighty five. That is a quick sale. Yeah. It was listed for two eighty five and sold for three eighty five in June of two thousand thirteen. That's not right, because this says right here on Trulia information last updated on three fourteen. That's yesterday. <laughs> Please don't use truly it, Dan. It's yes. It was updated yesterday. I have a website that's easier to navigate. <laughs> I can totally Trulia. see if you were listening to this segment right now. The segment right now, you may think that this is like some clever skit we worked out. No, that actually really truly just happened during the break. Um, that's wild to me. So there's a few lessons in this. Number one. Um, Trulia sucks, right? I mean, I don't really use Trulia that uh, much either. It pops up in Google searches. They must spend a lot of money to be that high. Um, But the funny thing is, is that Dan, he's a smart dude. Not only is he totally the best at using the internet and technology, but also like really familiar with inventory and recognizes a deal. Hey, Dan, can I tell you something? (laughs) You probably could have sold that thing as is for a hundred thousand dollar profit, <laughs> without, without even adding on to it, because that's actually what it sold for. But so the reality is, is that this is Thanks. this kind of stuff is really, really discouraging. That um, the internet, how do you separate out what's true or not? And probably what we talked about earlier, the data integrity here is lacking completely. Well, it's, it's a big problem. And I mean, you could see Dan, Dan, if I hadn't been here, Dan would have driven by that house today. You know, he uh, may have, well, Zillow has it right. Now I see it on Zillow. He may have actually, he may have actually got frustrated with you for not showing him this unbelievable opportunity um, and then wanted to like hire a new realtor. I mean, that's real stuff is that people don't understand that these websites, the, the information is not necessarily reliable. And this brings me to another good point that I'd like you to just mention real quick. Um, when you go to look at property online, cause what's the stat Wes? I mean, 70 or 80% of people are looking at property online before they buy. 92. Okay. 92. Yeah. 9.2 people out of 10 
um, are looking on some device, a laptop, an iPad, a something or other at night. Um, and when you're in the market for a home, you know what I'm talking about. You're leafing through every potential listing. You have alerts set up to see the new one. Um, you get a little alert if there's a reduction in price or a change in status on any of the existing homes that you are already privy to. Um, there's so many of those sites to keep track of, though, right? I mean, isn't that the thing? And you were telling me that there, you really only need to go to one as long as you know the one you're going to is reliable. It's true. And what you need to really understand is that the MLS, the multiple listing service, is, is the source of data. It's where Zillow gets their information. It's where Trulia gets their information. Isn't the, that? Yeah, that's where they're getting their info. That's so where they're it getting different? it. But see, the problem is they're getting it second and third generation. So it, and the real problem is that they have a good mechanism for extracting the data from the multiple listing services. But what they don't have good mechanisms for is tracking the changes. So that's why there's such a large percentage of inventory that shows up as available on Trulia and Zillow that sold six, eight, nine, twelve months prior. So help educate me here. Uh, changes. I mean, the house didn't change overnight. So wh where did the changes come into place? Well, there was a there was a status change that occurs in the multiple listing service. So it's listed as an active listing. That's the status of the listing. And at some point, that listing became pending when it went into escrow. Are there other changes besides status of the sure, property? Sure, there can that could be occur? price changes. There can be changes based on inspections. So there could be disclosures that are made through the MLS. There's all kinds of changes that occur to the data set. And Zillow and Trulia are bad, bad, bad at picking up those changes. So, and the, the thing that you have to realize is that there's a, there's a, an agreement that has been made in the real estate community from broker to broker. It's called Internet Data Exchange. And and basically what it what it has done is it's it's me saying to the rest of the brokerage community, feel free to display my listings from the MLS on your websites in exchange for letting me display your listings on my websites. So now there's technology that's been built to serve this, IDX technology, and it allows us basically to provide to the consumer a direct feed of data from the multiple listing service. So if you want accurate data, get it from a Realtors IDX site. Mine is at westburk.com. And if you go there, you will find it's very easy to navigate and it is 100% reliable. What you see on there is guaranteed to be accurate. The same is true at Keith's site, slowcountyhomes.com. Almost every one of the agents in my office have their own website that they share with the people that they're working with. And we work really hard to educate people about the use of that site versus the use of the Trulia and the Zillows. I think, you know, the reality is those companies have a lot of money to spend making their site pretty and, um, and, and easy to navigate. But at the end of the day, the data is so bad on there, you're wasting your time. Find a good agent, find out what their website is, and use it. It's the, it's the direct feed to the multiple listing service. It's the most accurate data that you can get a hold of. When, uh, when I was using your site a lot, when I was looking for um, the house we ultimately end up buying, I was... 
I was actually pleasantly surprised at how accurate everything seemed to be. And I, I definitely still fell into the trap, though, where I see something else pop up, like on a Zillow or otherwise. Hey, this house is for sale. So then I'd go search it and be like, well, I can't see it anywhere else. And you kind of like in this spot where you're a little bit desperate, you certainly don't want to miss something that's available. And then at the same time, you're like, well, if I'm the only one seeing this because I'm looking here and everyone else is looking there, then maybe I'm going to have a crack at this without 42 of my best friends offering like, you know. So I, I definitely see how you fall into the trap of, looking around and checking it all out but the the site that you know like i, I always went to westburk.com to, to look my stuff up and um it works good the one thing that i will say though is that sometimes the search stuff was a little bit frustrating for example if i was if i go to westburk.com and i'm going to search for a house say in a tascadero so i start out by and maybe this i'm probably just doing it wrong i know i've never told you this before but like you got neighborhood search so you you highlight a tascadero and then there's like these 15 things that i don't know what any of those are um Sure, I know where the lake is, I guess, or whatever. But you see, my thing is, there. I feel like there just should be one over there that says all or east side or west side, like something maybe a little more user-friendly. And I realize you're not really in control of this stuff. but So you kind of you got to learn how to like well, search this stuff on how it wants you to search it. it. It's really not that complicated. I mean, neighborhood search is specifically for use when you want to search a neighborhood, but probably what you should have been doing was um, searching under price range. I mean, you can go search by price range. You mouse over a Tascadero, you click your price range, and then the thing that I really like about this is that it gives you multiple choices then. You can look at all the active inventory. You can look at what just hit the market in the last day. You can look at the last seven days or the last 30 days. And Keith builds these sites, and he studies what people use the most when they go search. And he finds that these um, that breaking these searches out into these categories really is what people like. And you can imagine why, because after you've spent a month looking at the inventory, you don't really want to run a search and see and have to navigate through everything that you've already seen no. and you know isn't a match for you. So here you can go just look at what's hit the market in the last week, for example, and, um, and, and you never have to touch your keypad. You can do all of this just it's mouse driven. Yeah. So I, I really believe that the site's user friendly. Like anything, you got to spend a little bit of time figuring out how to navigate it. But um, all in all, I'd say it works. It works well, though. And you know, you can certainly. It's funny, especially when I counsel new home buyers. I, um, I talk to them about this. Like, well, you know, first thing first. Once you like, you're pre qualified and you know what you're looking for, then you will you know, select a real estate agent, set up an auto search. And in the beginning, it's kind of overwhelming. Am I missing stuff? Do I see it? You know, where, what are my price range? How many bedrooms or bathrooms or whatever do I require? And then before too long, you're like an expert on the housing inventory. At least it feels that way. You know what's for sale, how long it's been for sale. You see like, oh yeah, they dropped the price in that one again. It's still over by about 40 grand. Like you just, all of a sudden you're pretty, 
honed into it or you look at the pictures you're like yeah that one looks like a good deal but the guy put his back to like you know some total flop house thing that looks like a junkyard and if they took the picture from the other way you would know why that place hasn't sold yet that kind of stuff um so you just you kind of get so familiar with it that you know what's in there and and anticipate the changes and this sort of feeds this technology kind of feeds why it is that there's really competitive stuff on a properly priced property sure right i mean this is when we look at things historically even four years ago people didn't look at real estate the way that they're looking at it today or as frequently as they are today people weren't as in tune with every property for sale in their marketplace the way they are today so i think because of a diminished inventory, but it's largely because of technology, we're gonna see this be the case. This is probably the new norm. If you see a property in your price range that you like, and you're seeing it on your iPad at 8.45 at night, so are 10 other people, because they just got a badge popped up on their iPhone, they were directed to go look at it because something changed, and there's a, a new sense of urgency that definitely didn't exist 10 years ago. Yeah, that's true. And it's, it's the paradigm has changed for sure. You know, 20 years ago, a realtor's primary function was to find you the house that was a match. And it's just simply not the case anymore. The transactions have gotten immensely complicated. Coordinating financing with the transaction is immensely compl uh, complicated. And technology has replaced that function of actually finding the buyer of the house. Now we program the MLS to send everything that hits the market that's appropriate directly to the buyer. And so you're getting the information as soon as, and in some cases, even before the realtor has a chance to see it. So we're pushing the data so fast at you that that, that component is very much less hands-on for the realtor now. And that's not where we're earning our commissions anymore. Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, <clears throat> I did want to uh, toss out a little plug here. I... I produced a flyer um, with help from our marketing department for um, an open house that's happening today in Arroyo Grande. And this is happens to be an agent of yours, Wes, and it, it wasn't even intentional that it went down this way. You just have a lot of agents. Um, but Sherry Anderson that works in your office. Great, great agent. Yeah, I have a lot of respect for her as well, and she um, she's doing an open house today in Arroyo Grande, and this is a house that's $799,000 list price. Really a beautiful house. It's a three-bedroom, two-and-a-half bath with a three-car garage, 2,510 square feet. Um, I'm bringing this up today, and the reason that we made this flyer is that I, I laid out some financing options for her because 800000 bucks is kind of a wonky little price bracket. It just is because the FHA and conventional loan limits here um, in San Luis County are now 561.2. So if you need a loan amount of 561.2, you know, if you buy a house that's 800,000 bucks, you're looking at a pretty hefty down payment. 
Um, so we had an opportunity here to create a flyer and kind of point out some of the financing differences. If you went with the conventional super conforming loan of 5612, that's a $237,000 down payment. Um, that's a big down payment. I don't know a lot of people are sitting on 240,000 bucks ready to put down on real estate. Um, if you are good, more power to you. Um, the, the second little option here was just a jumbo loan, um, which requires 20% down. So that would be a loan amount of like $640,000. So you'd be looking at $160,000 down payment. That's probably a lot more manageable for the average person. The interest rate on that program is just a little bit higher, but there's a new loan program that's hitting the market right now. And it's a jumbo five-year arm. So it's fixed for five years before it then adjusts. The down payment required is only 10% and it has, um, there's no mortgage insurance required. Wow. So you could buy this house, this $800,000 house really for $80,000 down and not be paying mortgage insurance. The interest rate um, fixed for the first five years, take a guess at what it might be. 90% loan to value, only 10% down, no mortgage insurance and a five year fixed. Five and a half. 3.625. How's that possible? They're, the jumbo market recognizes, I think banks are finally coming around to the idea that that segment of the market is the next hot spot because that inventory hasn't been turning over. People haven't had the freedom to be able to list and buy, you know, to sell and move around in that housing stock because those down payments. I mean, the, the jumbo loans three, four years ago were requiring 35% down, like as a rule. Yes, there was some 20% down options, but they're expensive and few and far between and very hard to qualify for. These loans today um, are just looking at, at, they want to gain that segment of marketplace. And the idea I think is that um, it's still, you got to fully qualify for this loan. You got to be a pretty good borrower with very good credit and all this um, really high caliber transaction. But that that house price is um, where they want to be. So it's kind of like rather than make five $200,000 loans, they'd be happy to make $1 million loan to a very qualified borrower and even forego that uh, mortgage insurance requirement for that person. So I, I see it as a little bit of a, a shift in the marketplace, at least as far as the banks um, look as an opportunity to make some dough. So now you can kind of see why I laid out the flyer. We offer the conventional loan, the jumbo loan, and then the jumbo arm to demonstrate the different down payment options. Um, and it was a marketing opportunity for this particular property because as you could see, three years ago, option one would have been the only one to you. $800,000 house, better find someone with 240 grand down. Oh, what's that? Not selling too many million dollar houses? Yeah, I wonder why. It was a financing problem. Um, today, $80,000 down, you're in. So you see some liquidity coming into that part of the marketplace. It should pick that all up. So um, yeah, not only are you finding low down payment jumbos, but you're also finding that with a, a more normal, like 20, 30% down, the rates are only an eighth or a quarter point higher than a conventional loan. 
yeah. uh, on a on a thirty year fixed jumbo. It's very competitive financing. I wanted to, you know, we don't have a lot of time left. I wanted to share another story here as I've been searching Zillow, Trulia, and SlowCountyHomes.com, comparing the three. I found, I was just looking at multifamily properties in Morro Bay, found a nice little listing on SlowCountyHomes.com. It's not showing up on either Trulia, Trulia or Zillow. Yeah. I, thank you for helping make the point today, Dan. I found several instances of inconsistent or inaccurate data yeah well i mean it's not it's a fact 40 percent of the information on zillow is inaccurate and they admit it and unfortunately only 30 percent of people know that <laughs> i love not statistics even sure that many do but it's it's a you're wasting a lot of time if you if you're using that instead of a local resource it's the that's the takeaway uh, if I piqued any of you, um, you guys' curiosity about this open house in AG, go by and take a look at it. It's 715 Via Las Aguillas. I think I'm saying that right. I'm not positive. But that's an AG. And let me just do this. Um, Sherry, who's doing the open house today, works for Patterson Realty. Her number is 206 six three two eight if you go there or you call her do me a favor and tell her you heard us talking about it on mortgage matters that'll that'll buy me some favor i hope um we do have a phone call to take it's the lost drummer yes hey greg oh, astle yeah. the... checking to see if you found the f ah, in, in frenzy. frenzy yes we spent the better part of the week with only a renzi and Wes brought the F to the studio this morning, I bet. Yes. Hey, I have a just an observation, being is that I'm kind of an old-timer here uh, compared to you young bucks. I recall back in the uh, mid-'90s, 94, right when that the last cycle uh, was starting to recover. Uh-huh. All of a sudden, there was a an, a loan product called a stated income loan that came back into the marketplace. Stated income loans had been around back in 1989 and 1990, but when the market went south, they went away. Sure. And, and then when everybody realized that something was going to have to happen to fire up the real estate market again, all of a sudden in the mid-'90s, we started seeing stated income loans come back, and lo and behold, the recovery was not long behind that. That sounds to me like with this new jumbo product you're talking about, relaxed guidelines might be coming back into play. Is that, is that a possibility? I think, yeah, some relaxed guidelines. But remember now, here's something new from ever before, is now with the Dodd-Frank Act, we have the creation and implementation of the CFPB, which um, now gives us the qualified mortgage criteria. We have a, if you're a qualified mortgage, which this loan would not be. So one of the big differences here is that the banks that are offering these are knowing that they're going to have to keep this on the portfolio, a loan that ah. they're staked in the success of. At least a 5% stake. Yeah, for its life. That you not can't a any, not and, a Freddy product. Then. No, so you can't sell or assign it um, to somebody else. You're staked in it always. And uh, and to kind of double back on that, the rest of the loans that are Fannie and Freddie, we have to document ability to re repay guidelines and and those ability to repay standards. Um, 
will never permit stated income. So there is some new regulation in place that's going to keep us from going as far down that hole as we used to go. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I do think I, I, one of the things I tell my staff and people that I, I talk to always is never ever underestimate the power of self-preservation. Um, and, and bankers, people alike will lessen their standards. Just, it's the human condition. They'll lower their standards to keep the influx coming if they're, if they're feeling like they might be dying on the vine. So you'll definitely yeah. see more of these types of loan products that are not qualified mortgage, um, that are proprietary where they're dumbing down the guidelines. Um, we're going to see more of that to come, but I don't expect to ever go back to where we were. I recall a realtor in the last several years saying, God, they have these things called sales now. Yeah. And I said, short sales were around back in the nineties. Sure. Uh, there were a lot of them. Yep. Uh, it's just a cycle, part of the cycle. Yeah. Well, hey, Greg, thank you. Appreciate your calling in. Um, have a great day, Greg. We're going to miss you tonight, but, uh, Rest well knowing that the show will go on without you, buddy. <laughs> Greg Astle, the most important tea in real estate. Um, let's see here. Wes, your credentials, sir. If someone wants to get a hold of you. Well, go, go to my website, wesburk.com. -E Call me on my cell phone, 801-7061. Perfect. Thanks much. Would you care to share our credentials, Mr. Podesto? I've been kind of quiet over there. I've been I've been doing all the research. Right, I, I'm the R and D department over here today. But sure, love you for it. You can get a hold of any one of our loan officers by calling one easy number to um, our offices around the county: five four three loan five four three five six two six. We're Central Coast Lending. Look us up on the web: centralcoastlending.com. We're um, we're writing articles every day, trying to share information with you. Uh, whether it's great information about how to remodel your kitchen, how to get a jumbo loan with only 10% down. <laughs> Where'd everybody go? <laughs> you can find it on centralcoastlending.com. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I thought that was funny, though. We, we packed up. The desk is clear. Wes is just zipped. I picked up and shook the keys for fun. Um, thanks much for being with us today, Wes. It's always fun. Always appreciate it. It's a pleasure. I appreciate the opportunity. And um, if you guys do have any loan needs at all, we'd love to hear from you. 543-LOAN. You'll find us um, all week, 543-LOAN. And um, Dan mentioned it, but the website's full of a lot of great, useful information. Go over and, and give it a stomp, and uh, I think you'll enjoy your time there. We'll be back next week with another episode of Mortgage Matters. Thanks so much for being with us. Get out and enjoy that nice weather.